Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here, and this is the first time I've preached live. Um, I was, you know, just a little stressed and nervous about that the past week or so, but I found this quote from Tim Keller. He says, the first 200 sermons, no matter what you do, your first 200 sermons are going to be terrible. (laughs) And believe it or not, this felt very encouraging to me. So after today, if you all will just stick with me about another hundred years or so, I promise to present you with an epic sermon. In the meantime, will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your presence among us. I ask that my words bring you glory this morning and that all those who are listening will be moved by the Holy Spirit to grow in faithful practice of following you. Continue the work of renewing us as we fellowship together this morning. Amen. Now, if you've been listening to our sermons this fall, you know we're in a vision series, and each week we're looking at one of our six practices. As we talk about these practices, we're focusing on knowing, loving, serving, using our heads, our hearts, and our hands. The art panels around this room are images designed to help us think about these practices, things we do regularly and repetitively. And through these practices, our lives and our relationships begin to be restored and reconciled. As Pastor Donna Barber encouraged us a few weeks ago, transformation happens slowly and gradually. But God has promised to renew us to transform us and to shape us more and more into who he created us to be as we obediently and persistently practice communion, formation, community, hospitality, justice, and Sabbath. We intentionally began our series learning about communion, reconciling our relationship with God, and Pastor Linda helped us to see that we can have a real life-changing relationship with our God, and that this communion is the deepest longing of our soul. We then heard about formation, reconciliation with ourselves, where Pastor Pete taught us the beauty of recognizing that we are indeed in a relationship with ourselves, and we can learn how to know, love, and serve ourselves in a way that honors Christ and forms his image in us. And then just this past Sunday, we looked towards our community, the church. Pastor Pete taught us about practicing community and challenged us to lean into the understanding of what it means to belong together and to one another. And now this week, I'm shifting our focus outward towards our city and the practice of hospitality. Our icon for hospitality is on the screen. It's also in the back of the room. It's a circle, which is our community, but there are gaps. We're open towards others, to our city and towards our neighbors. Hospitality is a practice that is pretty pretty culturally normal, but it's become a bit of a caricature thanks to social media. I think many of us today hear the word hospitality and think of entertaining a crowd with a perfectly set table and a delicious and healthy meal that meets all possible dietary restrictions. (laughs) 
and maintaining the confident conversation skills needed to make everyone feel at ease. Does that resonate with you? If so, I have good news. You don't have to be social media worthy to be hospitable. I bet most of you have been on the receiving end of a deeper kind of hospitality where you felt welcomed and accepted. There might have been a beautiful table and a meal, but what you experienced was more than that. Have you ever received a meal after a hospital stay? Or maybe you've been new to a neighborhood or to a group and somebody just had that way about them that made you feel right at home. Sometimes heartfelt hospitality is worthy of a social media post, and sometimes it looks really different. The Bible, which predates social media by quite a bit, talks about hospitality throughout. From Leviticus in the Old Testament, where the law commands us that we welcome the foreigner living in our land to love them as we love ourselves, to the New Testament, where Paul reminds us in the book of Romans to share with those in need to practice hospitality. There's an amazing example of radical hospitality on Broadway right now. It's also on Apple TV if you don't happen to be traveling to New York. Uh, the musical, Come From Away, is set in Newfoundland, Canada during the days of and immediately following 9-11. 38 planes were grounded in the tiny town of Gander and the population of 9,000 people spent four days hosting 7,000 confused and scared strangers from the grounded planes. They called them the plane people. <laughs> These residents of Gander housed, fed, clothed, partied with, even gave honorary citizenship to these weary travelers. It is an amazing story of epic hospitality. And I know that few of us will ever have the opportunity to practice hospitality on that kind of a scale, but we do all have the opportunity to practice hospitality in our everyday lives. We're taking our definition of hospitality this morning from the biblical Greek. The word used throughout the Bible that we translate to hospitality is philozenos. Philozenos breaks down into philo and xenos. Philo is brotherly love, like in Philadelphia, and xenos is foreigner or stranger. So literally, the word used, translated to hospitality, means love of strangers. And the opposite then of biblical hospitality is another word you're familiar with, I'm sure, xenophobia. This breaks down into xenos, that same word, stranger, foreigner, and phobia, fear. So which phrase resonates more with you, love of stranger or fear of stranger? Given that the phrase stranger danger is part of our lexicon, my gut is that we tend to fear strangers more commonly. Why do you think that is? What drives us away from the open and free, generous hospitality towards a fear of pulling back and closing that circle? Maybe we think we don't have anything to offer or that we'll be judged even if we try. Maybe we think if we just get our house or our life or our children or our fill in the blank in order, then we'll be ready to live generously and welcome others. Or maybe we're afraid to squeeze one more thing into our calendar, one more person into our circle. And yet in Jesus, we see an open circle. There is no stranger danger. And since we learn the character of God through Jesus, we can know that God is a God of radical hospitality. God knows us, loves us, and serves us completely in the gift of Jesus. 
I know believers who live with Christ-like hospitality. They show up at the Stars Adult Entertainment Club on 3rd Street every month to practice radical hospitality there. Others head out to the homeless camps every week and check in on the campers who have truly become friends. There are people who welcome kids who have experienced less than ideal childhoods into their homes to live as part of their family for a time. I know that following Jesus leads us toward people and not away from them. And I've seen people be transformed by this experience, both on the giving and the receiving end. Let's dig back into our scripture today and learn what this psalm has to tell us. Psalm 1 is often referred to as an instruction manual. It paints a picture of the options we have. We can follow God and live as blessed, delighting and meditating, growing and thriving like a healthy tree planted near a water source. Or we can rely on our own thoughts and feelings and reject this gift and wither. These verses are descriptive. The author is not threatening us, just letting us know how things will play out based on our choice. The gift of living in step with the Holy Spirit is ours to receive. Choosing to delight in relationship with God forms us into people who are like healthy, prolific trees with lives marked by life and freedom from fear, open to generously loving others, the strangers and the foreigners. Listen as I read the first few verses again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not weather. Whatever they do prospers. Oops. Just focusing on those first two verses, though, it seems like this psalm is actually speaking against hospitality towards strangers. We're being warned that those we would deem as others, we should maybe avoid. Is this psalm just encouraging us to sit with our Bibles and meditate? To isolate ourselves from anyone we think is wicked or a sinner or a mocker? Do you know people who live this way, who've closed their circle and embraced their isolation from non-believers, cut off from the world and separate? They might feel as though their lives are blessed, but is this the kind of life God is calling us to? When the psalmist refers to the blessed one, is he talking about someone with a closed circle, isolated from others? I think the answer to that question can be found first in figuring out who the blessed one is. So who do we know who lived as one who completely delighted in the law and who truly meditated day and night? It's like Sunday school question. (laughs) Who's going to say? Jesus. Yes, the answer is always Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is the blessed one. So what does that mean for us then? We aren't perfect as Jesus was. Does that mean we're closed off from this blessing? No. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we also were included in Christ when we heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. When we believed, we were marked in him with a seal. So while Jesus is the blessed one, we are in Jesus, which means we are too. If we look at Jesus's life, we see that he led a life far from isolating. His circle was open. 
he regularly walked with, stood around with, sat at the table with those who definitely would have been labeled as wicked sinners, mockers. In Luke 11, Jesus is called a friend of tax collectors and sinners, not just an acquaintance, but a friend. So what do we do with this seeming contradiction? Knowing both that Jesus is the blessed one and he was a friend of sinners helps us understand what we are being warned against and called toward in this psalm. There's a tension that Jesus modeled for us of walking with, but not walking in step, of standing with, but not standing in the way of, of sitting with, but not sitting in the company of. When we interact with people who don't know Jesus, we will probably be out of step with some of their beliefs and habits. Our priorities might dictate different patterns to our days. We might have to turn down invitation or we might respond differently in conversation. Jesus certainly calls us into friendship with non-believers, but he also demonstrated how to walk the line to be in the world, but not of it. Our Christ-tinged hospitality may seem a little weird to those who don't know Jesus, and that's okay. A theologian I follow these days uh, named Caitlin Schess just recently moved, and she said when she moved to a new town and was looking for a church, she was looking for a church that was too weird to be mistaken for anything else. (laughs) Following Jesus looks weird to the world, so let's embrace some weird hospitality. Looking to the New Testament, I've chosen a few examples from Jesus's life where he showed us how to live blessed, how to live generously and not fearfully, how to live weirdly hospitable. So let's start with looking where Jesus chose to walk. I'm thinking specifically about when Jesus walked right through what would have been considered stranger danger territory, Samaria. Look at this map and remember they were walking Judea is at the south and Galilee is in the north. And if you see right in the middle is Samaria. But Samaria were enemies of the Jews and Jews would typically walk all the way around to get to Galilee. And Jesus said, that's not how we're gonna roll. We're gonna walk right into the middle of Samaria. We read about it in the Gospel of John when we read the story of the woman at the well. Jesus practiced weird hospitality. He met people, he talked to people, people his disciples would have traditionally taken the long route to avoid. He showed us that by meditating on the law day and night, we will find it possible, even desirable, to walk among those we would otherwise pass by. So do you have a Samaria in your life? Is there someone or something you'd really rather skirt around but that God keeps bringing back to your attention? Have you found ways to take different routes and avoid it altogether? Jesus modeled something different for us. He walked right through, right into the thick of the uncomfortable, awkward, hard to understand stranger territory. Jesus didn't walk through Samaria on a whim, remember. He is the blessed one. He was meditating on the word day and night. He was in tune with God's desires and was obediently going where he was led. For some of you, following God's leading means getting to know your next door neighbor or that person at church that you haven't moved past a nod and wave to. For some of you, the call stretches even farther out. Are you being prompted to find ways to get to know those living in the margins of our city? The answer varies, I'm sure, for all of us, and Psalm 1 shows us how to determine that answer. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night and God will show you where to walk through 
who he is calling you to get to know. Jesus did it, and it led him through Samaria where he changed lives. Let's look at another example. The story of Zacchaeus shows us the radical nature of Jesus' love towards strangers. You can read about it in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a tax collector in all the worst ways possible. He lied, he cheated, he stole, he thought always of himself first. And then he met Jesus and everything changed. But what I really want to look at here is how Jesus showed him hospitality. Here's what we know of the story. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, who'd climbed up in a tree to better see Jesus above the crowd, Jesus looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus called him the worst of all tax collectors by name in a very public place. And he didn't chastise him or call him out for his horrible behavior. He invited himself over. He pursued Zacchaeus and met him right where he was. And the result, instantly, Zacchaeus says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. When Jesus publicly acknowledged Zacchaeus as a person worthy of his time, the change in Zacchaeus was instant. I think it's pretty clear that God was working in Zacchaeus' heart long before Jesus arrived on the scene and spoke his name. It's as if Zacchaeus had made a little promise to God. If this Jesus acknowledges me, fine, I'll repent. And Jesus, being rooted in the word, knew exactly what to do. Call Zacchaeus by name and invite himself over. He knew Zacchaeus and so could reach out in love and offer him the hospitality that was exactly what Zacchaeus needed to receive the restorative love of Jesus. This is amazing reassurance for us. When God calls us towards someone, we can be confident that we are not alone. The Holy Spirit is at work all around us. I've got one more Bible story, and in this example, we see Jesus knowing, loving, and serving his disciples. The story I'm referring to is the feeding of the 5,000, and it's found in all four of the Gospels. The story is a miracle of epic proportions where Jesus turned a small amount of food into more than enough for thousands of people. The disciples were integral to this story. Jesus knew these followers of his so well, and he loved them so dearly. When he blesses the meager loaves of bread and few fish and tells the disciples to go ahead, feed everybody, he was serving them by greatly multiplying their efforts. Jesus called his disciples to show hospitality to 5,000 people. Can you imagine their fear and hesitation that they must have felt? And yet they obeyed and God showed up. He multiplied their efforts beyond what I'm sure any of them expected. When God calls us towards strangers and we feel stymied by fear, by inability, by a lack of resources, will you remember that story? God multiplies our efforts when we obey his call in our lives. A favorite local example of God multiplying efforts can be seen at our shepherd's house, where throughout COVID, their food pantry keeps replenishing. As soon as it empties, it fills up again. Somehow they have always had enough food during COVID. God is on the move in Central Oregon, prompting people towards radical, generous hospitality in the way that they're giving towards Shepherd's House. So in these three stories, we see Jesus as he walked with others, stood with strangers, and sat with questionable company. 
How is Jesus free of the fear of stranger, the fear of not being good enough, the fear of not having enough? Our psalm this morning gives us the answer. His delight was in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditated day and night. Jesus was tending to our first practice, the practice of communion. This right relationship provided him with everything he needed to walk, stand, sit in biblical hospitality towards anyone God brought across his path. This biblical hospitality extends to us. You are here today because you've crossed paths with Jesus in some way. In Jesus, God is offering you radical hospitality. Will you receive it? In Ephesians, Paul writes that we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Sit in that for a second and receive God's hospitality towards you today. Jesus is the gift that, yes, shows us how to live, but also enables us to live. We can be free from fear, free from the cultural standards we might feel hampered by, free to show radical, generous, weird hospitality towards our city. And we get to do this grounded in our faith, partnering with the Holy Spirit. As I close, I have a story for you about how God called me into hospitality towards my literal neighbors. I hope I'm not the only one here who hasn't always been friendly with their next door neighbors. I confess, I'm one of those people who comes home from work, I open the garage door, I pull in, I close the garage door. I have a beautiful backyard where I enjoy solitude and a lack of small talk. <laughs> but this was not God's plan for me because I have this cat, George. It's a picture of George. Uh, George is not a backyard cat. George is a neighborhood cat. This is him eager every single morning to get out the door. He spends his day working the neighborhood. Uh, first stop is 5.30 a.m. for a dish of cream across the street with his friend Jerry. Then he goes down to Jim and Martha's deck where he has second breakfast. And then he squeezes in a quick visit with his friend Kai before school. After all that activity, he randomly chooses different people to nap with until I come home from work. George has seriously messed with my introversion. Everyone wants to know, where does George live? Who are his people? Is he cared for? So to assuage all these well-meaning concerns, I started hosting monthly George parties. <laughs> seriously. A party for my cat and all of his friends. Yes, I am that person. Remember when I said Christians were weird, just living up to it. These George parties were God's way of leading me to get to know, learn to love, and find ways to serve the strangers who were in my own neighborhood. Of course, God's timing was amazing, and these George parties happened in the months leading up to COVID, so that by the time we were all on lockdown, we had a group text going and could easily meet the needs of those in our neighborhood who were at highest risk. And of course, George didn't obey COVID restrictions. He kept right on being his hospitable self. So as we go from here this week, my challenge to you is to root yourself in prayer and the word of God and ask God to lead you towards that neighbor, that stranger, that foreigner. Take the first step, smile and wave, and see how God prompts you to continue to move toward. All it takes is a step of obedience and the faith that God is transforming you. He will bless you and release you from fear. Practice radical, 
biblical, weird hospitality, and God will meet you there and shape you and grow you into who you were created to be. As Pastor Sean comes up and leads us through communion, take this moment to receive the radical hospitality of God. You are known, you are loved, and you are saved to be a part of the family of God.